Hello, and welcome to View from the C-Suite, C-Suite Close-Ups. In this series, I'm taking a deeper dive into the career paths of women who have smashed through glass ceilings and gone way beyond the shards. We explore their backgrounds, motivations, challenges, mistakes, and triumphs. It's a celebration of women at the top and a roadmap for those who are on their way. Today's guest is Danielle Hawley, the Global Executive Creative Director at Uber. I first came across Danielle when she updated her LinkedIn photo, and she wrote a post about struggling with getting older. I resonated with her honesty and really with her conclusion that with getting older and with age, you start to feel more confident in your own skin, even if that skin shows just how many years you've been hard at work. I was inspired by Danielle, and I I really just wanted to know more about her. What I learned is that she's worked her way up the ranks at several famous ad agencies, and about two and a half years ago, she made a very brave decision to leave the agency world and run global creative at Uber. She's a self-proclaimed type A creative, which has fueled her success, uh, working for amazing brands like Microsoft, P&G, Audi, Coca-Cola, and AT&T, for which she's earned honors in the most prestigious awards shows. She was named Campaign Magazine's Top 40 Over 40 and served as a mentor at Can See It, Be It. Danielle's committed to empowering women, dedicated to fully accessible advertising for people with disabilities, and passionate about creating a more inclusive world. One of the things that stood out to me about Danielle after we sat down and talked was that she's not only an amazing leader and an amazing coach, but also a player. The title of this episode is The Teammate. Danielle, I so admire your career choices and your commitment to inclusivity and the way that you always show up as your authentic self, uh, which you did very recently in that LinkedIn post when you changed your photo. I'm really interested to know more about your background. Was there something in your upbringing that prepared you and set you up to be this amazing leader that you are today? Um, I certainly think being an athlete had a lot to do with it. Um, there is not a time in my history that I can't remember being a part of a team or at least having team as my, my core value. Uh, I I think at a very early age, I really liked the idea of, um, of being around people with a similar mindset about being around people with a similar goal and kind of showing up for them on the days that they weren't necessarily at their best and knowing that they were going to show up for me on the days that I wasn't necessarily my best. And that I think sense of obligation and duty of what it meant to have a place on a team um, and how important it was to do my job um, and that there were people counting on me and depending on me, um, I think really, really had a, had a huge part in, in my upbringing. I mean, more so as a person than anything else, but certainly has given me, I think, um, a leg up in understanding what it means to be a leader and what responsibilities leadership can place on you and how to handle some of those pressures and how to, um, uh, you know, understand that, uh, along the way, I think I had a lot of practice in knowing that, you know, if, if I was anything less than myself, my, my teammates were going to call bullshit on that. Um, so I didn't really have an, uh, an opportunity to, to try and pretend to be anything other than, than, than what I was. I mean, there's something about, 
you know, running around when it's a hundred degrees and being broken down and, you know, being at your, your, your toughest points mentally, physically, emotionally, um, with people that, you know, you have your, have your back that, that provides a really safe space to understand and learn about who you are. So I think I was really lucky that, that I had that experience, um, so young and so consistently through my childhood and my life. What was your sport and like how intense of an athlete were you? And like, did you continue on through college? Like break this down for us. Was it? Yeah, and, and I'm sorry that I didn't do that. Yes. I was a soccer player. Um, um, for, for many people that don't know about what soccer was like, um, when I was coming up, it was, you know, um, the women's world cup team, the, the, the moment where, um, Brandy Chastain ripped off her Jersey and they won the world cup and Mia Hamm and Abby Wambach and all the people that followed, I was a freshman in college when Mia Hamm was a senior. So I actually played in that era of when women's soccer was really starting to come up. Um, and, you know, played year round. So I had multiple teams a year um, in college, was going to practice every single day. Um, yeah, it was it was that level of, of competition. Okay. So we're talking pretty intense here, which is... Yeah, I mean, I've had a job since I was 12 years old, for sure. You've had a job. Okay. I love it. So I've read that 95% of Fortune 500 CEOs were athletes. Nine in 10 women CEOs played sports, over half at the college level. Why do you think there's this correlation between sports and success in the C-suite? I mean... Uh... I, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm first of all, amazed and, and in awe of those numbers and, and really appreciate them, but, um, it doesn't surprise me, um, that there is that correlation just because there's a, there's a competitive edge. There's a, there's a spirit of understanding that there's ups and downs. Um, again, there's, there's sort of like moral and emotional obligation of the, of people that you really enjoy being around actually depend on you. Um, and how, uh, you know, to go through life when you're potentially not getting along on the field, but you have to get along on the field or when you're, um, you know, your parents are getting divorced or you're failing a subject or, you know, you broke up with your boyfriend or whatever it was or girlfriend, as it were, um, uh, to, to not bring that on the field or to use the field as a way, um, as a safe space and as a, as a, as a, as a sanctuary to, um, get it all out, um, and to leave it all on the field and to channel some of those, those crazy things that you, that you go through, um, in your life. Um, I, I, I still do that. You know, I still need movement. I still need exercise. Um, I still need that kinesthetic experience of learning and, and, and feeling, um, a connection to other people sometimes to just work out my own shit. Um, and, and that's not a surprise either. Right. Um, when you're, when you're used to doing that and that's been your outlet for so long, um, I think leaning on it when you need it most has been a real resource for me. It sounds like you look back on it very fondly and that you've carried through a lot of the positive aspects of it into your adult life as well. But I have to pause because when you say, you know, I've had a job since I was 12 and you talk yeah. about competitiveness and the ups and the downs, like that's a lot. That can be a lot. And so were there ever downtimes or when you look back, or do you think of things that made your childhood more difficult or is it all is it all very positive no i mean certainly i think it's um you know my mom has always talked about how from a very early age i sort of had two speeds which was like asleep 
and a hundred percent full throttle. Um, I just don't really know any other speed and, and whether my experience shaped that or whether I sort of came out of the womb like that, I, I don't know, you know, my mom will say it's the latter. Um, perhaps it was both, but when you get to that edge, um, and you're, and you miss, you know, you, you certainly miss things. I miss proms. I miss sleepovers. I made sacrifices, um, that I think everyday kids, I didn't get to go to Europe on summer vacations because I was at tournaments and those kinds of things. But, um, but you also gain a ton. So it's, it's, it's both a good and a, and a, and a, um, it's a, it, it can be sort of a double-edged sword. Um, certainly in college, it's like, I'm not drinking on weeknights. I'm, you know, using all of my spare time to study and then travel on the weekends and, and, um, you know, support the team. Um, so there's, there's acts. I don't know that it's necessarily a downside. It's just a lot of responsibility at a young age and a lot of responsibility consistently over time when you're going through many new experiences. Um, but I also think that being an overscheduled kid like that, um, has given me an edge, especially in advertising where it's a deadline based, um, industry. It's like, I know what game time means. I know what it means when you have to tap into a different gear, um, to get through, uh, a hard time, meaning like many, many hours, or, you know, I know what it means to put it all out there and to lose or to win as it were, or, um, you know, what have you in, in terms of the ups and downs of the competitive spirit of advertising. And there have been, I think, I think while that is a superpower, that stamina that I can tap into um, when necessary and certainly has helped me, I think, succeed. It's also borders on masochism. <laughs> and when you, um, when you all of a sudden are not, you know, a single, a, a single person playing soccer on a soccer field for fun, and you're certainly responsible for making money, but you're also responsible for, for holding up your part of your team that is now your family. Um, there can be challenges. Um, I think the biggest one for me was frankly, getting and being pregnant. Um, during all of this, I was not, um, capable of slowing down or of understanding what slowing down or not slowing down would do to my body. And certainly there's a difference between me leaving my children as babies because I have to go on a shoot or because I have to go on a pitch. But when there were, when I was carrying them, I had a physical responsibility to protect them that I don't know that I understood. Um, and that my brain wasn't, um, really ready to, um, to take seriously. Wow. So when you were pregnant, did the physical aspect of carrying a child force you to slow down? Did you have okay pregnancies? What happened here? I'm feeling like something dramatic is coming because your brain is saying, go, go, go. And having been pregnant myself, I know you can't go, go, go. And there's something bigger and more important than yourself that you have to take into account. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your pregnancy. I know we did not talk about this at all. No, no, it's it's all good. Um, it's not something I'm I'm um you know uh, that I shy away from talking about at all. It, it's the latter. In fact, I I use it a lot when I when I talk to my own team when they go through um, these kinds of physical changes. Look, it's the it's the single um, most um, unique difference between men and women in the workplace. We're all anybody that chooses to become a parent 
you know, male or female, um, you know, accept the responsibility of being a parent. But when you're carrying a child, that's the, that's the, it's the irreconcilable difference. Um, and, uh, you know, no one will ever, no doctor will ever say, you know, you caused this. But I did, I, I went into labor uh, eight weeks early. I had my son at 32 weeks, my firstborn. You know, I was going, I went to Cannes six and a half months pregnant. I was pitching, you know, and I was uh, writing manifestos on my porch because I was huge. It was just really, I, I'm a small person. I'm five foot two. So my pregnancies are, you know, it was huge. And I kind of was sitting on the porch writing and I looked at my husband. And I was like, I don't know like what's going on, but it sort of feels like my uterus is kind of like making a fist. And, um, you know, this is my first pregnancy. So I had no idea. Those are also, you know, contractions. Um, so I'm 32 weeks pregnant going, I don't know what's wrong, but I, I, it just feels kind of funny. And I, I like threw on a pair of jeans and picked up my keys and my wallet and kind of walked out the door. And I was in the hospital, um, you know, on drugs to stop my contractions um, and you know me, I'm sitting there with my laptop, like, okay, cool. What medicine are you going to give me now? Um, I ended up having my son eight weeks early and then standing over his incubator, giving performance reviews and just, it just sort of didn't <laughs> click. When did it click? Cause at some point it clicked and you realized this is not sustainable. At least if I get pregnant again, what, how did your leadership style change your own personal discipline and just how much you put on yourself to perform and that stamina and that edge? Um, well, it, it didn't sink in. Um, my next pregnancy, I did unfortunately have a miscarriage. Um, and then when I was pregnant with my daughter, right around 32 weeks, I think I was up at two in the morning doing something. And my husband sort of just like came over and shut my computer and was like, we're not going to do this again. And, um, I think that if, if, if there was a moment, that was it, um, where, you know, I just, I needed someone who, you know, I needed the person that knows me better than anyone in the entire world to physically break the page and look at me in the eye and say, you're doing it again. Um, you know, and it's taken me, I think my, my kids are now eight and 11. Um, it's taken me, I think till now to really understand, um, that in many ways it's an addiction for me. Um, it's 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 almost self soothing. It's like tapping into that adrenaline rush, um, or that 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 thing that sort of seemingly gives me some sort of an edge or some sort of a um, a feeling of accomplishment or um, or something I know that I can do that a lot of people can't is actually not so great. Um, and I'm certainly not setting a great example. Uh, for anybody. I'm sorry to hear about your miscarriage. I want to pause there. I know what that's like, and it's horrible to deal with that moment where your husband came in and he gently shut that laptop. Have there been reminders of that since? I know your your kids are are grown now. You haven't had another pregnancy recently, but have there been moments like that where you've had that, whether it was your husband tapping down the laptop or you yourself going, I'm going to take a minute. Yeah, I think, um, I think the first way that I started handling it was I thought, oh, well, people need to know. 
um, you know, no one talks about this stuff and I'm going to be the one that talks about it because, um, you know, it's so taboo and, you know, the, the men don't understand and the women, um, God forbid the women think that they have to behave the way I did. Um, that was a moment certainly. And then I think since then, um, you know, COVID had a really big impact on, on me. Um, you know, I used to be a 4:45 wake up, hit the gym, you know, run to the office, off to the races kind of person. And I think COVID has made us all sort of a little bit more civilized. Like, why was I doing that? Um, what was I trying to prove? Uh, and I also think that, um, back to the, the childhood sort of, I think influences is that I don't ever, I don't ever, I never believed that I was ever the smartest in the room, but I could always outwork someone. Um, and recognizing, I think that I had other things to give other value to add. Uh, I think it was essentially some fuel in my imposter syndrome of, um, you know, being young, being handed a lot of responsibility in the industry early, potentially, um, you know, I always talk about how there was a long time where my potential, you know, my experience was, was vastly deferential to my, um, potential. You know, I just, I, I was given all this responsibility. I was put in bigger rooms and more and more and more, and I didn't have the experience to handle that. And then there was, there was sort of a day where, I, I realized my experience had caught up with with all of that. Um, that I do know what I'm doing. That I actually have seen it all, um, and that I can see around corners, and that I am actually a formidable creative person um, with ideas and um, influence on uh, other people creating things. That I think was the, was the was the education I needed, or the self journey that I needed to sort of wake me up from the fact that, that that's not the only way to win. Does that imposter syndrome ever creep back in? Or do you feel like you kind of like, Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. It often happens, I think with relationships, you know, um, being in a global role, um, as you know, you know, it's all about people trusting you. Um, and you know, when I, when I sense that a region or um, a capability of people is starting to trust the creative team. I'm like, we got to do more. We got to do more, 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 more. Like I'll go to Japan. I'll do this. I'll do that. And I'm hopping on planes and I'm doing these things. And, you know, I just had an experience uh, two weeks ago where my husband had COVID and it was over Thanksgiving and I was already going to be away during his um, birthday, which was a couple of weeks after he recovered. And I just said, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to go. I really want to. It's right for the business. It's right for the team. It's not right for me. And that's okay. Um, wow. That doesn't sound like a decision you would have made 10 years ago. I definitely would not have. I would have incurred the sacrifice for sure. Wow. So let's talk about your global role. You're global creative director at Uber. I've followed your career because I've grown up in the ad business as well. And I, I so admire when it looks like a career is going one way and then eh, there's this little zag because after your entire career in the ad industry at various amazing advertising agencies, you went client side, you went to Uber. This was about two and a half years ago. What drove that decision? Had you been thinking about it for a long time? What emotions were you going through as you started interviewing and like coming to terms with, I'm going to get this job 
And then like giving your notice and like working through that. Walk us through that. Um, well, my my journey on the advertising side, um, I think is it it sounds sometimes a little bit cliche when I tell the story of it, just because um I don't know, I guess it's just my own lived experience. So it just feels a little bit like uh, you know, something that you say about the industry, but um I, I just, I followed the directions, you know, it was like, I went to ad school and then I went to the, to the young green shop that was, that taught me everything. And, um, you know, I'm really grateful for that experience. In many ways, I still feel like I'm still doing that same job, um, because I, I was wearing so many hats and doing so many things, um, right away, you know, coming into the industry. But again, you know, creativity has a way of, of really, um, of really eating away at you. You know, you come up with ideas and then you kind of look around the room trying to figure out how that happened. (laughs) And then how, my God, how are you going to do it again? Um, Because you have no idea where it came from and you're supposed to conjure it um, on a daily basis. And, um, and that can talk about fueling an imposter syndrome of just, am I good enough? Am I creative enough? Um, Do I, do I fit with the top ranks of the people in this industry? Um, and then of course I go and get a job, uh, at a digital agency, which, um, at that time was like, you didn't do that when you came from the traditional side, the digital agencies didn't understand big ideas and you weren't creative. If you went to a shop like that and you were, um, essentially learning analytics and you were learning the data, which was the enemy of all of the best creative ideas in the world. And, um, you know, I didn't believe those things and in my heart, but then there was this conflict of like, Am I supposed to give away my card carrying membership to some elite club here? Or am I actually learning something um, that I think they're they're actually missing out on? Um, but I think that was also a little bit of uh, you know, feeling a little like you're at the advertising kids table, um, which also fueled me more like, no, 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 I'm gonna show them, I'm gonna show them that we can come up with big ideas and we can be more interesting. And there's um, a media agnostic approach to all of this stuff. And I have a different way of thinking about it and a unique point of view. And don't you want to buy that client? And just, um, you know, really kind of tapping into all of those angles. Um, and it, and it, it was tiring. <laughs> um, it was tiring to pitch and know that you had the winning idea, but, but not win because you weren't the agency the client was looking for or, um, some backend procurement issue stopped you from winning or, or whatever it may be. Um, and I'd gone through all the things that you would go through the misogynistic creative directors, the environment that felt a bit toxic, the, um, the mergers, the politics, um, and, you know, the layering of men and the, um, the the not understanding when I was supposed to shine versus when I was supposed to be listening and learning and and having two kids along the way, um, I think I just at the end of the of the day, um, you know, I had made Zaz possible, Wonderman Thompson, whatever iteration that whole WPP entity was, I had made them my family. Um, I my heart and my soul was in the success of that place. Um, and as I started to interview, I, I realized so many things. Um, one, um, how much I needed to sort of let go of that past and grow up. Um, but also, um, 
you know, uh, just how much I knew and how much I could lend um, to a different side of the organization and that I could stop trying to go into conference rooms and convince clients to try to be brave and do new ideas. And I could just go and be a brave client. Um, and I had learned that from the, the days that I worked at Audi, God bless Scott Keogh, um, and the I am the integrated marketing team that he ran, you know, I, um, that left an indelible impression on me. And I knew that I could do that on the client side. Wow. So you did talk a little bit about drama and politics, and <laughs> I wouldn't be a good interviewer if I didn't say, and then you chose Uber and we've all read some headlines and Uber has not always been friendly to women that yes. work within the organization. And when you took this job, did you get any backlash or questioning from your colleagues, your friends, your family? And how'd you deal with that? Um, I did. I, um, you know, my lovely recruiter um, asked me three times if I wanted to interview for this role. And I said, no, three times. Um, and she just kept saying, listen, I understand, but you you really need to meet this team. Um, and, you know, in all in full transparency, I liked the idea of a brand turnaround. I liked the idea that there was a mission driven culture. Um, I liked the rumors that the people inside the walls of Uber were nothing like you would have expected. Um, but mostly I came to work for Thomas Renice, um, who I felt a, a instant connection with and a kinship with, um, you know, from the first 15 minutes of having a conversation and was able to hang up and say, I want to work with him. Um, and that spark and that chemistry was something I had learned. Um, you know, you know, when you have a spark and a chemistry with a teammate on the field, you know, you have a spark and a chemistry with an account person or a strategist or a creative team member in pitches. I knew what that felt like. Um, and, you know, leaving um, people that I that I really did think of as family and a support system in a, in a work environment that was such a culture of culture, a comfort zone, rather, um, he felt very comfortable to me. He felt like someone I knew how to inspire. He felt like somebody who would inspire me. Um, it felt like an opportunity to really learn from each other. And he's an Italian guy from Brooklyn, so it just felt really easy to me. <laughs> how have you decided what to prioritize first and what to really grab onto? I'm sure there was a bit of a learning curve, a bit of a just sort of figuring out how Uber runs versus an advertising or digital agency runs. Like, yeah. How did you approach those first like 30, 60, 90 days? I mean, the other thing that I think was really important to me is that I never want to be far away from the work. Um and that's a tricky situation, right? When you're the boss and you're you're sort of a, a coach and a player at the same time. And you certainly don't want to, you know, make it feel to, as if to anybody that you're cherry picking good assignments. And I, I hope to God my team would agree that, um, you know, when I'm on the team, I'm playing. And that means that you are my peer and I'm lending experiences and might be the the decision maker, but it is definitely a democracy and it is a, you know, a give and take. Um but I wanted to. I want to get to. I wanted to get to know the organization through the work. So I also knew that the team and you know me personally needed some quick wins, um, and so that was really my priority for the first you know three to six months was just like make a make a splash, make this giant organization go. What's happening in marketing? What's happening in that creative team? 
there's nothing I think that changes culture more than doing really good work and doing it very publicly um, because it's inspiring and it's fun to be around. And um, when people notice, that's the catalyst that allows you the momentum to do more and more of it. And if Uber is nothing if not prolific, um, it's my favorite thing about being here is that there's always something really needy and juicy to dive into. There's delivery and there's mobility and there's earner and there's B2B and there's freight. And then you multiply that by four regions. It's like, you know, any number, any, any week of the year, you can jump on a plane and go to a shoot. Um, and it's that, I think that's really exciting and really fun. And to be able to watch all of that work go from like good and pretty mediocre to like really good and great has been so, so rewarding. And it's, absolutely a testament to the kind of people that we've been able to hire and the team that I've been able to build and the partners that we've been able to to find in the agencies. And your stamina. And my stamina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that doesn't, that, um, you know, it doesn't, it will always be who I am. Um, I'm much more aware of when I'm bordering on that edge of masochism. And I also have not just my husband now, but more people that tap me on the shoulder when it gets there, but um, it does help. Let's talk more about your leadership style and being a woman in tech. Um, I found this great quote from you. You said, coming up in this business, I wished for nothing more than to see women in leadership who didn't try to lead like the men. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Um, we didn't have a lot. We, women of my generation in this business on the creative side did not have a lot of women to watch. Um, and so the people that we watched were men, some of them brilliant, empathetic, incredible mentors, most of them not. Um, and there, there was and is, unfortunately, I think a style of leadership that um, rejects vulnerability, that um, isn't responsive, that um, plays a little bit of a cat and mouse game of, well, I'm the CCO, so you have to come find me if you want your work noticed, seen, appreciated. Um, there's a, um, you know, one of the, the most valuable things that I learned from probably um, the most challenging um, boss and leader that I'd ever had was some of the, some of those, sometimes those are the best things that you learn. Some, sometimes those are the things that you never forget and that really fuel your own leadership style. But as a creative director, you have to be very, very hard on the work. You just do. Um, if you're going to be successful and you're going to apply both the objectivity of what makes a great idea and the subjectivity that makes you, um, you as a creative director to the work. Um, but you don't have to be hard on the people. And you don't have to, um, you do have a responsibility to understand that it's very personal for creative people. And there's a, there's a deft touch and an empathy and an observant leadership style that I believe I have an obligation to understand and each individual that is on the team to make sure that when I am hard on the work that I haven't demotivated the person. And I don't think that, um, that, the men that I saw from the vast majority of the men that I saw um, didn't always lead that way, didn't have that philosophy, believed fear was a motivator, 
um, believed, you know, overworking was a, was a motivator, you know, was I'm going to, I'm going to go and have dinner and do whatever else. And then we're going to meet at two in the morning and put work on the wall. Like I, I just, um, I, I really wanted to be a pioneer of a, of a different way of doing it. And has this been well-received at Uber? Yeah, well, yes. I mean, I think that um, Uber of all places, because of the history, has no tolerance for um, for um, a lack of empathy or bad behavior or, you know, um, any kind of conduct that looks like, um, uh, you know, belittling or demeaning or um, disrespectful. Um, so it's, it's not only embraced, it's encouraged. So I think it's been, it's been a very good marriage of my own philosophy with, with the environment here. Earlier in your career, did you have to deal with power struggles or uh, disagreement with your style? And how did you deal with that versus where you are now, which feels like this very confident and content it seems like a very good place to be. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm, I've been around, um, some of it is just, you know, being 45 and being like, uh, giving a lot less fucks about what other people think. Um, you know, not just in my career, but in life. Um, and, and, and knowing that uh, that was another thing that COVID taught me was just, um, my children and my husband and my dog are my entire world. And if everything is right with them, which of course it never is, right? There's always craziness in a family household, but um, that I can do anything if it's just the, it's just the five of us and everything else is gravy. Um, it really truly is. So um, I think there's a, I have a very solid foundation and I'm really lucky in that regard. But sure, I mean, I think that um, other people in the industry didn't understand sort of my data-inspired creativity. Um, they didn't necessarily, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the experience that I had that completely changed my life, um, my life, not just my work life, was, was working on Tommy Hilfiger um, and designing a, a line of adaptive clothes for people living with disabilities. And this is a perfect example of sort of um, the, the cognitive dissonance that I think exists in the industry is that, um, you know, we had written a script, a wonderful woman on my team who Nicole McDonough, who has just like the most, uh, you know, beautiful skill at just writing the thing that makes everyone cry, just like, you know, gut punching and just getting to the heart of the emotional underbelly of the beast. Um, and we were all sitting around a conference room table, revering this beautiful script and talking about the lines that we were going to win and, and all the things that, um, that come from sort of that box of conference room that you're in. And frankly, your, um, your exclusive world of being a marketer who isn't understanding your audience or the outside world. And when we showed the community that we were working with on a daily basis, um, all of whom were women, were people who were living with disabilities or caretakers or caregivers of people living with disabilities. They looked at us like we were crazy. And they just said, why is this sad? My life isn't sad. Um, I'm not sad. You're not 
selling me something that makes me sad. You're, in fact, you're offering me a chance to, to wear fashion. That's, in, that's inspiring to me. That's exciting to me. I have, you know, a, a whole closet full of Velcro sweatpants and things that I've had to make myself because I have a style and an inner personality that I want to shine. And you're offering me this opportunity to wear clothing that makes me feel like I can represent my spirit, my personality, and I can put it on myself because you are making buttons that button and zippers that zipper and pants that, that, um, allow for my limb difference. Can you just make fashion advertising for me? Um, and it, you know, it just sort of blew our minds. Um, it really blew our minds about the fact that we had been making, we were making ads for other people in advertising. And um, I don't want to ever do that again. What a powerful way to realize that. Wow. Are you loving the new Apple spot right now? That is so celebratory. Beautiful and so well done. And the product integration is perfect. And the fact that they did closed caption audio and that they did descriptive audio and that every channel it is is in is a way for for people with disabilities to consume the piece of media um, was really, really well done. I'm very proud of them and excited about it. It's amazing to watch for anybody who's watching this now, go check it out. So I don't even know how to wrap this all in a bow because there have been so many fascinating tangents, but I, I do want to pause a minute and ask you how you do it all because you've got this successful career. You seem very grounded, at least now you've taken us a bit on the journey in terms of what it's taken to get here. You're giving back to the industry. You're being really intentional about the way you're coming into a tech company. Like what life hacks do you have? You're a mom. Like, how do you get by? Give us some tips. Well, I mean, I think the first thing to make sure everyone understands is I don't, I don't do it all. Um, I'm, I'm definitely let my friends down. I don't send birthday cards on time. You know, I'm, 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 I am very much lacking in a lot of areas of my life. I still make significant sacrifices and I do not want to be part of the facade that is everything is perfect and I have it all figured out. My marriage is perfect and my children are perfect and my job is fantastic. It's, it isn't that way um, at all. Um, But in terms of tactics and things that I've used to help me uh, with a really busy life, um, you know, I always say that if I don't do it right now, I'm going to forget. Um, and so I'm incredibly responsive. I mean, to a fault, I keep the zero inbox. I answer text messages right away. If not right away, then usually within 24 hours. Um, you know, there are, when there are moments where I'm missing that stuff, I have definitely stepped over the line of stamina into masochism, um, for sure. Um, I try to be present, you know, um, we employ things like no phones at the dinner table. I try and spend at least 15 minutes with each of my kids at night reading or just listening to them um, without any distractions. And, and frankly, alone, not with my husband, just one-on-one time with my kids. Um, you know, I certainly um, never skip my one-on-ones with my team. Um, I think, you know, or my leadership meetings. 
Um, that is the easiest thing to do when you're a coach and a player is to just be like, I, can, I don't know what the agenda is. We're not going to have the meeting. Um, and I can guarantee that every time you don't have agenda, an agenda, that's probably the best discussion that you're going to have every time. Um, so just keep myself to things and, and, and I've learned things along the way to just not do, um, even when things become overwhelming and are really, um, hard to manage. And what are your like own personal indulgences? Like, how do you take care of you? <laughs> um, oh, I do all the things, <laughs> do all the things I try to do all the things. Um, no, I mean, it's exercise, um, you know, given all the givens, if I, you know, have a, an hour to get my haircut, do my nails or do something else, I'm going to choose to go to soul cycle, or I'm going to choose to go for a walk with the dog, or I'm going to choose to hike. Um, and I'm so lucky that I now live in a place where I can walk out the door and be in the Briones Regional Park and in the East Bay, um, which has been such an amazing um, thing to access. Um, but I'm going to choose exercise every time. Movement. Um, it's it's. I think it's very fitting that I am at a movement company because I really believe in the ability to move freely and without barriers and to go wherever you want to go. And I think there is a, um, a business responsibility to Uber that there are things like, we're going to get you your meal. We're going to get you your ride. But there are also a lot of more emotional and metaphoric um, ways that a movement company needs to behave, um, has an obligation to behave that um, we're doing more and more of, which is really exciting. And how do you measure your own personal success? Um, I just kind of check in from time to time. Um, you know, I will be honest in that. Um, every time I read the question, how do you do it all? Um, from interviews and panels, I always say, I'm not going to be the one that says, this is how you do it. Because I just, um, you have to check in with yourself and say, you know, I don't do it. all. I, I don't, I don't. Um, and I certainly don't want, um, I tell my team this all the time. The, the last thing that I need on the team are mini, mini versions of myself. That's not how we get to better ideas. That's not how we get to unique points of view. I don't expect anybody to work like I work. I don't expect anyone to have the same process I have. Um, and I think when I see ideas that are things that are amazing, and but also that I would have never come up with, I know that that, um, that institution is working. Um, when my kids say thank you and please, I feel like that's a measure of success. Um, when my daughter comes home and is like, oh, I just wrote this thing. And I look at it and I'm just like, okay, um, through osmosis, she's learning creativity from, from me and my husband. Um, I love that. I love that my kids don't feel like they have to be little soldiers in the institution that is school and that they come home with their own ideas. Um, those to me are the things that I, that I really, um, am glad are a part of my life and feel really grateful for, and therefore think of as successes. Beautiful. What advice do you have to the next generation of women leaders who are watching this and watching you and going, Oh my gosh, I want to be there one day. Maybe not her. Cause everyone wants to be their own authentic leader, <laughs> but I want to be there. I want to yeah. be. This is another one that I really struggle with. Um, because I think we have so much to learn from, from a generation that's like, I don't ever want to do what Danielle did. Like I would never give up that much of my life to my career. And I think that's amazing. Um, and I can't wait for a time 
where I can confidently say it doesn't take this much work or it doesn't take that many hours. But right now I, I I'll be honest and say, I'm not sure that it, that, that I can say that confidently. Um, I think that there's a big misunderstanding that the higher that you get in an organization or in an agency, the less work you do. And the, the very opposite is true. Um, it's different work, but it is just as tiring. It is just as mentally exhausting it is just as physically exhausting, if not more, because you're traveling and you're, you're visiting, um, you know, global regions all over the, all over the world. Um, but, you know, I just think that the, if there's one thing that I wish that I had known sooner was um, just honestly to just do it my own way, um, not to channel Frank Sinatra, but honestly, um, I just always questioned whether my way of doing it was right, whether the things that were interesting to me were interesting to other people. And if they weren't, did that make it wrong or um, um you know, uh, avant-garde in, in a creative industry that sort of had a path. Um, and I'm very grateful for the data scientists and, you know, the Jason Carmel's who I would love to call out on this, on this interview, who, who taught me things and the, the, the cat writers of the world and the account team that, that made me sort of, um, a hybrid creative, a, a, a business person and a chief creative officer, um, at the same time. And that, that right brain, left brain thing was me. And it was something that I had a value to add. And I kind of pushed it away um, for way too much of my career because I just wasn't confident being myself yet. That's amazing advice to give. I have one final question and it's That's so sweet. hard. I'm preparing you. It's so difficult. But what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? Ooh. <laughs> Um, that you can be, um, equal parts, tough and empathetic. Uh, you know, I think that there's, I think that is the only way, um, to really keep people feeling creative for their whole careers. Um, and that, you know, the self, the self love that comes from just knowing that, that, that spirit is in you and that on the days that you don't have it, you have a team that will support you. Um, you know, it's not shocking that, um, that I just think that I want people to find team in their life. Um, and, and not in the, in the literal and literal interpretation of the world, whatever that means, whether it be their family, their friends, their communities, their work life. Um, cause I think that, you know, I always say winning is fun, but winning together is, you know, amazing. Wow, Danielle, that is a wrap on your C-suite close-up. And I am so grateful for your time. Thank you for having me. I'm always, I always happy to do it. And I'm, I always, I'm so grateful for, for people like you who are telling stories and who give up so much of their time to do that. Um, it's certainly something that, um, that we all need. And I appreciate very much. Thank you. Thank you. When we came into this, I knew we'd be talking a lot about leadership and what an amazing leader you are. But as I'm walking away from this, I'm thinking not only coach, but teammate. Yep. You're an amazing teammate and part of the team as you have been since you were young. And I think that's such a gift, an absolute gift for everyone who gets to work with you. So thank you for that. Thank you to our audience who've joined in and I look forward to seeing you again next month when the conversation continues. Bye-bye. 
To find out more about Wong Duty's work transforming businesses through human experience, go to wongduty.com. If you're a woman in the C-suite and would like to be a guest on this show, please reach out to me at womenleaders at wongduty.com.